You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Glad that you are here. It is so beautiful when the people of God gather together and lift high the name of God. I was thinking during that um, bridge in that song, aren't we glad that God is the same as last weekend? That he doesn't change over the week and as we come to another weekend service together as the people of God, he's not different than he was last weekend. And we take joy in that because God is just as glorious. And if you were a follower of Christ last weekend, he's still your God. And there's much joy in that. I was encouraged by that today as we were singing that. If you have a Bible, hopefully you do. You brought it with you. If you don't, we're going to pass them out. You need them today. We're in Luke chapter 8 for the peace-filled life. And so if maybe if you need a Bible today, if you forgot yours, if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We'd love to get you one. And if you don't have one at home, feel free to take that home. God's Word will change your life. So Luke chapter 8 is where... We are in today. As Dave said, my name is Greg. It is true. Uh, That is my name. I serve on staff uh, at Harvest Oakville. I'm the pastor of children's ministries, but uh, more so today, I'm just filled with joy to be able to be here with you, Uh, part of the family of God, to be able to open God's Word together. And so please make your way to Luke chapter 8. Today, we're going to be talking all about the peace-filled life. Uh, Maybe peace is a word you've thought about in your life before. Maybe it's something you sought after in your life before. Maybe you've gone through trials and struggles and you wanted peace. And so just for a moment, think about how you would define peace. What is peace is a question you can sit and ask yourself today. What is peace? What is peace in your life? How would you define peace? Or maybe, here's a question, how do you know there is peace in your life? Or maybe if you feel like there's a lack of peace, why and how do you feel that there is a lack of peace in life and how would you get it? God's word, the Bible, defines peace as two things. Number one, peace can be temporal security in who I am. That gives me peace in knowing who I am, but also it gives me peace in knowing who God is, glorious, great. And so we have peace knowing that that God loves me and created me. That gives us peace temporarily, but maybe also the Bible would say that peace is an eternal security of all the things that lie ahead. That could be tomorrow. What will tomorrow bring, Matthew says? Let it worry about itself. Or maybe you're worried about what the end of life brings. The Bible says if you have peace, you do not worry about what the end of life brings because you have eternal security, Lord willing, in Christ. The reason why this is important is because having a peace-filled life will transform our lives. It changes the way that we live. It carries us through hard times and difficulty. But it says also in Galatians chapter 5 that a peace-filled life, the presence of peace in our lives, that's the mark of God or evidence that God is work within us. And that is why having a peace-filled life is so important. Now, maybe some of us here today can describe what the absence of peace feels like. Maybe you know in your struggles exactly what it feels like, but you can't put words to it. I don't know how to describe what the 
absence of peace feels like, but I can tell you right now that it feels like something is missing in my life. My prayer today is that as we look into Luke chapter 8, we are going to encounter a beautiful story where Jesus brings peace into a man's life. And here's the thing that we need to see today. Maybe you're intrigued by the peace-filled life. Maybe you are experiencing a life that is marked by peace. Maybe it's something today that, Lord willing, by the end of hearing God's word, you will want it. But here's the one thing we have to know. A peace-filled life is only found at the feet of Jesus. You will not find peace in your life anywhere else other than at the feet of Jesus and surrender to him. And then we see something changes and happens. When we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus, our lives are going to be marked by two indicators in a peace-filled life, which we will come to. And this is why it's important. This is important because maybe you came in here today and you have the presence of peace in your life. At least when people look to you, they say that person's life is peace-filled There's this perception you have things under control, but you know more than anyone between you and God. When you leave here today and you exit back through those doors, the facade of peace is gone, and you are struggling, and you are fighting for your life and wondering, why am I anxious and worried? That is why peace is important, because it carries us through those times. And so as we make our way to the feet of Jesus, let's come before the Prince of Peace today. Church, let's pray. Oh God, we come before you as the Prince of Peace. And there is great comfort and joy today knowing that that is the God we come before. Father, we pray today as a church that you would speak to us that as we look into your word, that it would become so alive to us, that you would stir us to run to the feet of Jesus, that we would look into our life and wonder, am I dependent and declaring what God has done in me? And so God, we are just praying in this moment now, would there be so much peace that comes from you today? I pray that we would experience that and it would... Allow us to give praise and glory to you, Lord, for all that you have done in us. And so speak to us now from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you haven't yet turned to Luke chapter 8, the story that we are in today is in verses 26 through 39. Maybe you can keep your finger there for a moment. I want to recap before we get to our story today in Luke's gospel. I want to recap the story that happens right before our text today, and maybe you're familiar with the story, but if you look in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, there is one of the most well-known stories in Jesus' ministry. If you remember, as verse 22 says, it says that one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and what did he say? Let us go across to the other side of the lake. Now, I want you to know that the other side of the lake is where we're coming to today. But Jesus set sail from the other side of the Sea of Galilee with the purpose of getting there. And if you know the story in these verses today, what happens as they are making their way across the Sea of Galilee is they fall asleep, and all of a sudden the winds begin to pick up, and the thunder rolls, and the lightning crashes, and there is a wicked storm. 
And Jesus' disciples, filled with fear and anxiety and peacelessness, awake Jesus and cry out to him, Lord, save us. We fear that we are perishing, you can see in Luke's account. And Jesus rebukes them. Why have you so little faith? And as we know from the synoptic gospels in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we understand that Jesus just speaks and says, peace be still. And instantly the storm ceases. And Jesus' disciples in verse 25, you can see they're, they're left by saying, who is this then that the wind and the waves obey him? Now maybe you're like me and that's where the story often ends. But remember in verse 22, Jesus with the purpose of sailing across the lake has gotten into the boat with his disciples and as if the story is supposed to continue. This was a providential moment in the Sea of Galilee in this lake, but they were on their way somewhere else. And so that is where we come to the story today after this has just happened over the lake. And we come to verse 26. And so if you have your Bibles, let me read that for us today. And then we're going to look at the peace-filled life in our passage. In verse 26 of Luke chapter 8. Then they sailed, remember after the storm, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Verse 32, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. Look at this. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep banks and into the lake and drowned. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed and then all the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into a boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. It's an amazing passage in what takes place in our story today. I want to divide our passage today, maybe in a way that's going to be helpful, into three different encounters. We'll show it on the screen for you. Ways that Jesus dialogues in our passage today. 
In the first encounter we see in the first number of verses, Jesus interacts with the demon-possessed man. But if we look at the dialogue and we understand the interaction and dialogue, really, Jesus, if we're honest with ourselves, Jesus' dialogue is with the demons, the supernatural world. And that's in verses 26 through 33. When we come to 34, we see another encounter where now Jesus' interaction and dialogue takes place between what we're going to call the city folk, the witnesses of what has happened in this healing. And after verses 34 through 37, in 38 through the end, 38 and 39, we see this beautiful interaction between the man who's been freed and cleansed of the demons and what we'll call just the man. This man is experiencing now the peace-filled life. And so hopefully that's helpful for you as we see how we're going to divide this passage. Now, if you're like me, you're a visual learner, and I love seeing pictures, and so I want to show you also a picture of maybe what this would have been like on the Sea of Galilee as Jesus and his disciples sail up together. Maybe we can put it on the screen there. Um, As we understand the story, the Sea of Galilee, not a large lake, roughly 11 by 15 kilometers in dimension, Jesus' disciples are sailing across. You can see on the far side of uh, Galilee is um, the city Capernaum. That was the place where Jesus' earthly ministry was very well known to kind of be like his home or his hub. And actually, right after our story today, Jesus, when it says he sails, he sails back to Capernaum for the healing of Jairus' daughter. And so Capernaum's on the north side. Jesus' disciples are in the boat sailing across Galilee, and they're coming to this shore known as the land of the Gerasenes. It tells us as well that, as we see later in the verses, there is a, um, a steep bank region, and it was in the area of the Gerasenes, but there was a number of cities that were around the city, Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis. This was just a, a region, literally meaning just 10 cities. And in our story today, as Jesus allows the demons to exit, it says there's a herd of pigs that rush down these steep banks. And so to help you understand that, there's some banks that are on a steep angle. And so (laughs) visually, you're thinking there's not actual banks, but there's steep banks there for the dad humor in some of us to understand that this is the setting of our story today. And as we get to verse 26, it's as though the man is waiting for Jesus. Now imagine that scene right before. There's a man who's been possessed by an army of demons. He's been cast away to this part of the countryside. He's been banished and he looks out across the Sea of Galilee. The human eye can see upwards of 40 kilometers and so the Sea of Galilee being 11 by 15, there's absolutely the possibility that as this man looks out over the horizon, he sees the boat with a man and some other men surrounded around them, and he watches them, and he sees the waves and the dark clouds. He feels the wind, and this man loves every minute of the natural chaos around him. But then something changes. The wind and the waves stop. Instantly. And this man looks out towards the lake and he feels the wind disappear and he sees the waves calm down. And then perhaps the man sees the boat reposition itself and the sail gently fill with a breeze that begins to blow the boat of this man and his disciples in his direction. 
I can imagine this man who's filled with demons and peaceless as he begins to assess where Jesus and his disciples will land on his shore, he begins to walk and, and carelessly stumble and then begin to trot faster and jog and run as he's trying to figure out where is this man coming to my shore? This is my region, my place. This is where I am in charge. One thing that I think this man knows, whoever is on that boat is the one who is made peace. And he's watching the boat sail towards his shore, and he is here on the beach in verse 26 as Jesus and his disciples sail up. It is the Prince of Peace that has just brought peace to a storm that is now coming and bringing peace where there was none. And so we see in the first interaction here, this man comes before Jesus and falls down before him. And he cries out and says, you can see it in verse 28, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This man was naked. He was homeless. He was powerless. He was dangerous. He was self-mutilating. He was lonely. He was living among the tombs. This man was insane. And the author of Luke was Luke himself, a physician. And it says as if Luke, a physician, knowing the difference between physically ill people and spiritually ill people is saying to us as we read this, this man was peaceless in every way. And yet he falls down before Jesus because he knows who he is. His posture is a reflection of who is in his presence. Maybe a question for us today, what is my reaction or life posture when I catch a glimpse of Jesus? So here at the feet of Jesus are the demons crying out and begging and claiming the authority of the Son of the Most High God. They are asking Jesus, perhaps in a final attempt to subdue, subdue Jesus, yet they recognize at the same time we are begging before the Son of the Most High God. I love what Tabidi and Yabwile says about this moment. There is not the slightest hint of good versus evil, as if evil has any chance. Now, if you like marking up your Bibles, here's something I invite you to do today as we go through our passage. Find the submissive words in our story today. Words like beg or seize or permission. Luke is intentional in our story today because he wants to help us see how it's, it's only Jesus who brings peace amidst the chaos. In our story today, Jesus is the only one who has all the natural and the supernatural, the storm, and now the demons bow down and submit to him because Jesus is the son of the most high God. He accredits Jesus to be God himself, and church, the most high God bows down to none. And so in verse 30, we see a glimpse of this as Jesus asked them, for their name, to confess it. And the demons confessed their name as legion. It was an army of them. Yet notice in verse 31, 
that even though a single Jesus stands before a man who is possessed by an army of demons, it is the demons who are bowed down, begging and clinging to the every word of Jesus himself. They are filled with fear at the presence of Jesus, and that's why in verses 32 and 33 we can see they are asking Jesus for mercy. Please do not destroy us into the abyss, but allow us to go and to enter this massive herd of pigs on the countryside, the steep western banks. And so in this part of the story, Luke references this large of, large, this large of pigs was, was the size of the herd. And then if we look in the Gospel of Mark, Mark says the size of the herd was probably about 2,000 pigs. And Matthew mentions in his gospel the size of the herd was many. And so in this part of our story, we can maybe remember Old Testament laws in, in the Bible where the Jewish people would have seen pigs or swine to be a terribly unclean animal. And as some commentators suggest that here what's taking place in this story as Jesus allows the destruction of a herd of pigs, the size of pigs in this time and region could have meant only one thing and been for one purpose. It was to be a local food source for the Roman army. And so Jesus' disciples watched this herd of pigs now destroyed as the man is healed, and, and this is the type of savior that they were waiting for a Messiah who would bring peace to them from the Roman rule in their region. But I think what's happening in this part of the story as we see and catch a glimpse of what Jesus is doing and restoring is that Jesus is bringing peace to an unclean man with unclean spirits by casting them out into unclean animals living in an unclean region of the Romans for an unclean vocation, supplying their army. Jesus was bringing peace and order to a part of the land that had never seen it before. And he was bringing it to a man who had never encountered the Prince of Peace. That's our first encounter. But people watching see what happens in our story today. And in the next verses that follow, verses 34 to 38, we have the interaction or the encounter with the city folk. Luke says that when the people saw, the herdsmen, the witnesses saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And what do they do? The people from the city, they come out again to where this had happened, and they find the man possessed with demons who had been unable to be subdued, now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Now let's just stop here for a moment and examine and think about this man's life. Maybe this man was married. Maybe this man had left a family and children who had been left without a father for all of these years to care for and to lead and protect them. Maybe this man had a job, a source of income and in providing for his family. Maybe he had friends that had wondered where his, their friend had gone. But what we do know is that no one dared to come near this man because no one could subdue this man. 
And now they come and they experience and witness a peace-filled man because he is clothed and in his right mind. And as the theme of Luke often describes, this man had been off so clearly restored. And yet notice the reaction of the people as they come and as they see. It's in this moment, it says that they are seized with great fear. Now here's what's incredible in this story. For years, the people had known this man to be the one who was seized with demons. And now as they come out from their homes to witness what had happened, it is not the man who had been possessed by demons who is seized any longer. It's the people who witness what had happened that are seized with fear. And so why are they marked with fear? Maybe the witnesses, the city folk, are afraid of the man that they thought they knew. We're coming to see that guy Maybe the city folk are coming out and now that they are filled with fear because of the man who is subduing the man that was seized with demons. But I think perhaps what they are concerned about is the fact that what they could not bring peace to in this man had now found true peace. But you see, their fear of what is taking place right now, their fear of Jesus, the Prince of Peace in this moment, is not a holy or a reverent fear. Perhaps the fear of the demon-possessed man, the demons, the city folk, they're displaying a fear of who Jesus is. Sorry, not a fear of who he is, but a fear for who he is. Who might this person be and what might he do to us because of who and what we've known of this man prior? They are afraid of what Jesus could do to them. You see, though, the Bible teaches that a holy and a reverent fear of God draws us closer to God. Because we understand who God is and we understand who we are in being dependent on this beautiful and great and glorious God. But the fear that these people express and show in their lives is a fear. I love how what Mark says they do next, they beg for Jesus to leave. We don't even want you in our presence. Jesus, please leave us. And despite what they knew of Jesus, despite what they now have seen in front of them in restoring this man who had been seized with demons, now brought peace into his life, they, instead of wanting to be near Jesus, they they say, Jesus, please leave our presence. Because we're afraid of you. And so in these first two encounters of the demon-possessed man and the city folk, we see what a peace-filled life is not like. It'll be the opposites of our point in just a minute, but a peace-filled life is not marked by fear. In the demon-possessed man, we see how fear ruled his life at the presence of Jesus. What Jesus would do, what Jesus could do, what Jesus might do. And they ask Jesus that they would be sent away from his presence. And in the city folk, we encounter, again, wickedness, where these people experience Jesus and say, Jesus, we just need you to leave because of what you have done in this moment and in this place. Isaiah 57, verse 21 says, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. 
And so in the encounter with the city folk and in the demon-possessed man, we see their understanding of Jesus and who he is wasn't enough. Because despite understanding Jesus, they want Jesus to leave or them to leave. So here's a question for us. Is our life marked by fear? Is it marked by fear of who God is or what he might do to us in our lives? An unholy, an irreverent fear. Whom shall I fear, the psalmist says. The God of angel armies is on my side. Peace-filled life is not marked by fear. But here's the thing. Fear can look like all sorts of things in our lives. It doesn't have to look like this in this single moment with these first two encounters. Sometimes in life we have a misunderstanding of who God is and, and what we know of him. Sometimes it's that misunderstanding of God that leads us to think that God is only a God of justice and judgment. That's a misunderstanding that would lead us to fear God and what he might do to us. Sometimes our fear in life or our fear of God then compels us to live a certain way because we feel like if we come short before God or if we fall or if we sin that God will not forgive and he will cast us out of his presence And so we are afraid of who God is. We are also afraid in life of what people think of us. Are we smart enough? Are we good enough? Are we good looking enough? Are we rich enough? Some of us are afraid of getting sick. Some of us are afraid of people. Some of us are afraid in life and have fear for what could be taken away from us. What if I lose my job? What if I lose this thing? What if I lose that person? And so we are afraid. I want to encourage you with this today, that it's only the perfect love of Jesus that casts out fear. Nothing else in your life will ever cast out the fear that you have for whatever you have or whoever you have. Only the perfect love of Jesus casts out fear. The peace-filled life is not marked by fear. The peace-filled life is also in these first two encounters definitely not marked by distance. We cannot experience true peace in our lives and, and be apart from the presence of God. And when the city folks see see in our story today, when they hear of what has happened to this man, their desire is that Jesus would leave their presence. We also see that things did not end well for the demons who want to be cast out from the presence of God. The demons are destroyed. The city folk completely reject the presence of God in their life, and it does not lead to peace. There is no peace that is found in separation from God. So what we see in these encounters is that distance from Jesus in our lives creates havoc and chaos rather than order. And ultimately, eternal destruction, the Bible says, waits for those who reject Jesus Christ and the peace that he alone can give. Now, maybe this is a call for some of us today. 
Maybe you're looking or thinking or reflecting in your own life and the peace or the peacelessness you experience. Maybe there's a dad here today who feels as though he, in his own strength, is able to care for and lead and provide for his family apart from the peace that comes only from Christ. Maybe there is someone here today who thinks that they can find their identity and their beauty in in the things of this world rather than knowing that in Jesus Christ, in dependence on him, you are a daughter of the living God. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and you're wondering, how did it get to where it is today? And you're realizing how far you've come from the feet of Jesus Church, what we need to ask ourselves in our story today and in these encounters is, are our lives marked by distance from God? And if that is true, when is the last time we've been dependent in God's word to him? When is the last time on our knees before the Lord in private that we have cried out in dependence on him? That is why we experience distance in our lives because we have not stopped to see how far we have drifted. Maybe you're thinking, I started at the feet of Jesus. I gave my life to the Lord in complete surrender to him, but now you look in your life and And maybe like that floaty at the beach on a wavy day, you look out at where you are and you look at where you had begun and set out and departed and you wonder how far you have missed the mark. Church, hear this. If there is distance in your life from Christ, you and I will lack peace. If there is a sense in our lives that we do not need God, your life will lack peace. If there's a sense that Jesus can go and do his thing and I'm going to go and do my thing, we're complacent with the presence of God, you will lack peace and you will never have a peace-filled life because a peace-filled life is only found in the presence and at the feet of Jesus. So maybe some of you are here today as well and you're thinking, I've I've never been in that place. I've never started from that point at the feet of Jesus. I've never surrendered my life to him and, and my life lacks peace. Then you need to see in the story today a strong call and encouragement, not judgment, but an invitation to get there. You need to get to the feet of Jesus and believe it makes all the difference in the world for you to carry you through and to sustain you But in order to know what changes in our story today, we've got to finish the story. We've got to finish the story and what happens to this man. And so let's get to the third encounter and find out what happens in the peace-filled life as our lives changed. In Isaiah 61, verse 10a, Isaiah writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is a beautiful picture of what it takes place now in the third encounter as the people come out and find this man kneeled and seated at the feet of Jesus. 
Our text tells us that he's now, instead of naked and crazy, this man is clothed and in his right mind as he sits at the feet of Jesus. He's experienced being clothed with garments of salvation as he's been restored. He's been covered with the robes of righteousness in the presence of Jesus. The invitation for us today as well to come to the feet of Jesus and depend on him and not have distance from him is one that says you too may be clothed with righteousness. You may be given garments of salvation to save you in your life and to bring peace. Because as we're seeing in the story today, God has made a way for the havoc and the craziness and the stench of sin to be removed from your life as what God has done in this man's life. It's a beautiful picture for us as we see this man in his right mind and thinking clearly. The invitation for us is to look on to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and say, I want that too. I want to be at the feet of Jesus. I want peace in my life as well. And so let's take a look at what happens in this man's life as he is seated there. Not only is the ability to have the garments of salvation put on us, it's a beautiful picture of how God robes us. This man has experienced that. But it says as well, this man is also in his right mind. And maybe that reminds you of a verse in Philippians 4 verse 7 where we understand that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are transformed in the renewing of our mind. And then Philippians 4 7 says, and the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The life that finds itself at the feet of Jesus and dependent on him in minimal distance from him is the life that says, wow, Jesus, you are transforming every single part of my life and I have experienced peace. You see, this man, he recognized who was in his presence. He knew what this man had done for him and that leads him then to want to be at the feet of Jesus Maybe in your life too, you're thinking back and saying, I remember that time when God came and he restored and healed me, when he helped me understand that I need him to save me and for who I am. Maybe you see how your life has changed, but what we're going to see now in our story through this man's life is that the peace-filled life will, number one, be marked by, as I've said, dependence. So look what this man does as he recognizes that Jesus is being sent away from his presence. Jesus is leaving? What? You're sending him where? What? No, 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 no. Look at verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. Jesus, can I just stay with you? I need to be with you. Understanding what you've done in my life, there's no other place I would rather be. He wants to be in the presence of Jesus. He's dependent on him. Remember the first encounter? Jesus, send us away from your presence. And the second encounter, Jesus, you leave our presence. And now we see a man who's been transformed and restored, and he says, Jesus, there is no other place I would rather be than in your presence. And we thought about this man's life before, but think about this. Being seized by demons for all these years, the moment Jesus comes in 
and restores him. He doesn't grab whatever he has with him. He doesn't have bags with him, but he doesn't grab his bags and his luggage, shakes Jesus' hand. I got to get home. Can't wait to see everyone. This man doesn't wonder if his wife is still waiting for him or what his kids are going to say when he comes through that door. He doesn't wonder if his job is still being held for him or if his friends are still wanting to throw a big party and the next time they can get together. This man doesn't worry about any of that. All he says is, can I be with you, Jesus? It's not that he doesn't care about these things. Maybe he had them waiting for him. Maybe he didn't. But what we realize in this man's life is all his priorities change. You are the most important, Jesus. I am dependent on you. And that's what sets this man's life drastically apart from the first two encounters. So what does that mean for us? I think it means that just knowing about Jesus or knowing the stories of Jesus' life and ministry, knowing answers from the Bible, being able to answer a question in, in small groups or to be able to look like we know the Bible, that's not enough to have a peace-filled life because that will not save you. But it's the man or the woman or the child who says, Jesus, you are the only thing I need in my life. I am dependent on you for everything. That is the life that will be transformed from the heart and not from the head. It's the life that says, as we sang, Lord, I need you. Every hour of my life, I need you. Maybe you remember um, the classic story by Victor Hugo called Les Miserables. As the story begins, we're introduced to a character named Jean Valjean. He's been enslaved as a prisoner for 19 years. For what? For stealing a loaf of bread. And as the opening scenes begin to introduce us to the police inspector Javert, we are seeing this beautiful picture where Jean Valjean is given his yellow ticket of freedom. He is a free man. What takes place in the story today should be strange for us. It's as like we have been prisoners for 19 years and when you are given your yellow ticket of freedom and your life is restored... You look to the person who's ruled over you and you say, there is no other place that I'd rather be than in your presence for forever rather than to run home and to be free in what we think is freedom. And so we see in this man's life something strange. Rather than to go to what we think would be important, he knows what's the most important. He wants to be in the presence of Jesus. For the People of God reading the story back then, hearing it, witnessing it, they would have known the image of teacher and student seated at his feet was an image that was very common to them. I want to learn from you. I'm in submission to you. And so it should be strange what takes place today, but I, I love what one commentator says about this moment as this man says, this is where I want to be. It says, the gathering at Jesus' feet is more than a school of learning. It's a school of salvation. Come, sit, learn, be dependent on, 
be changed. John Calvin also says this. He says, power strikes men with fear, makes them fly from the presence of God. And it drives them to distance from him, but goodness draws them gently. And it makes them feel that nothing is more desirable than to be united with God. That is what this man has experienced in his life. You are what I want. And so then we come to verse 39, and interestingly, Jesus doesn't grant his request to remain with him. Jesus tells this man a very specific command to go and declare. Declare how much God has done for you. And despite all the things that he had that were unknown, what people would think of him, what they would do to him, if any of these things were still waiting for him, this man is obedient. Jesus, you have changed my life. You have brought peace into my life that I don't have to worry about any of the things in my life anymore because I have met you and been changed by you. And if you tell me to go and declare of what God has done in my life, absolutely I will because I have been changed by you. And so we see secondly as we come to a conclusion, point number two, that the peace-filled life, it's been marked by dependence and it's now marked by declaration. And so this man has been received a command to go and to declare. This was different than what Jesus told other people as we read in the Gospels. They would experience healing and restoration, and then often Jesus would tell them and say, I want you, I want you to be quiet right now until the perfect time of what has happened to you. No, this man gets a different command. Don't be quiet Go return home, declare how much God has done for you. Most people think it's because where Jesus is in this very moment in the Roman region, in the Gentile land, declaring that Jesus was the Messiah would be no threat to what the Jews were expecting. Jesus is who? No, Jesus is not the Messiah. Really? Jesus is in a different region now. He tells this man, really, as a, a pre-release of the Great Commission, go out and declare what God has done in your life because people need to hear about me. Remember Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the armor of God. This man had it in the moment. He has the sandals to go. He has the power of peace, the gospel of peace in his life to go and to share the good news of what God has done in restoring him. He got his clothes back, his sanity back, his friends back, probably his family back. So the question for us is, is my so-called peace-filled life marked by declaration? Am I actively declaring all that God has done in my life? Am I actively declaring all that God has done for me and who he is for me? Because maybe if there's a lack of declaring what God has done in you to others, it might be because in our lives we have the presence of fear. I'm afraid of what people might think of me. I'm afraid of what they might say to me, how they'll treat me. They're not going to want to hear what I have to say. This man doesn't worry about any of that. The peace-filled life then says, I have met Jesus and 
been transformed by him. I can declare all that God has done. I want you to know who this Jesus is because I have experienced peace that I've never experienced in my life before. Things that used to matter just don't matter. So I want to close with maybe just helping us see what this looks like practically in our lives. I'll show an image um, for us to look at as maybe helpful to see it. Um, maybe we can call it the scale or the slide of, of faith. And what we see in this man's life is as he's experienced Jesus, and as he grows in his faith in who Jesus is and what he has done, his life is marked by more and more peace to do things that maybe he thought was never possible. On the one end of this scale, we see how a life can be marked by peacelessness. The goal of where we are working towards as followers of Jesus is a life marked by peace. Here's what it might look like. If you have a, maybe a child that went to high school this fall and you were nervous for them, for their friends, for their teachers, for the curriculum... As we grow in faith in God, we experience a peace in life to say, I know that God has my child. I do not have to fear. God, give me peace in this circumstance to know that it will be okay because you love them as your child and your creation. Maybe here's a second example of what it could look like in our lives in the loss of a job. God, what will tomorrow bring? What will be my income? How I pay the bills? The life that grows in faith in Jesus Christ will be the life that also grows in peace in who he is and what he's done because you will be able to say in your life, God knows and God provides and God sees me as his child and what good, good father will never leave their child. And God, it's hard right now, and I don't even know what tomorrow will bring. I don't even know what's next for me. But God, I can do this because you have given me the peace to say, I know that God has me. Or maybe a, another example in a health diagnosis. Maybe you're struggling to trust and say, God, I don't even know what this is going to mean for me or for my family. God, this is the hardest thing I have ever heard in my life. In fact, God, I'm not even sure if my life will continue much longer. The life that grows in faith in God will be the life that is marked by peace in God to say, God, you've created me and you know my life and you are sovereign over everything in my life, including sickness. And in this moment right now, God, whether you take me today or if you take me a year from now or years from now, or God, even if you heal me, I know that one day, I am awaiting a glorious future with you. And that's what I look forward to in the midst of this trial and struggle. God, it's hard. God, I cry out before you because I think of who this affects in my life, but my life is marked by peace because I know that God is in control. You see how this changes in our life. As we grow in faith in God, we grow in our peace in circumstance in life. But on the other end of the scale... A lack of faith in God only breeds peacelessness. God, I'm worried. God, I'm anxious. God, I'm fearful. God, I don't know. God, I need more. God, what do they think of me? This just builds and builds and builds, and it's peacelessness. And it's not the way that the peace-filled life is marked by. 
Here's an encouragement again from Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace. That's a command. God will keep him in perfect peace if, if his mind is stayed on you. Why? Because his mind trusts in you. And so I want to close with two questions about the peace-filled life. Number one, am I dependent? Am I dependent on Jesus? And number two, am I declaring? In all that who God is and all that he's done for me, am I declaring? Do I even have a desire to be in the presence of God? Do I have a desire to declare the things of God? It's a great thing for us to pray This week, God, give me a desire to be dependent. Give me a desire to declare. May my life be marked with peace. But you know, as we close, this this man in the story today, he's not much different than you and I. When we really look at his life and the things that took place and transformation in him, he's not much different than you and I. And maybe some of us have the ability to look back and we remember that time when God took us amidst our crazy chaos, our unforgiven sin, and God met you and the Prince of Peace came into your life and said, I want to change you and restore you and save you. You remember that moment. And you're thankful for all that God has done in you. But there might be some of us that are here today and and you've never felt that. There is a strong call and an invitation for you to look at this man's life and to say, I want that. God, help me get there. God, would you give me that as well to not worry about circumstance? God, unlike the demons that say, send us from your presence, unlike the city folk who say, you leave my presence, God, I need to be dependent on you. I give it all to you. Give me a peace-filled life. The call for all of us is to see Christ for who he is, the Prince of Peace, for what he can do in us. And we are invited to come and to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, God, would you change me so that my my life would be marked by peace? There's no other place I want to be. God, there's nothing else in my life that I would stand on. You are my solid rock. I trust in you. So God, as I live my life, would you go with me because you have purchased it all on the cross. And it's that life that doesn't really compare to anything else we'd find in life. It's all fake. It's a facade. It's like a mirage in the desert. It's only the peace-filled life that will change and transform. And so God, would you mark your church with the evidence of peace in our lives? And God, would you mark this generation with the fruit of peace that amidst so much uncertainty, that amidst the confusion and the chaos that we look around and see in our world, that we would run to the cross and say, I've got something that you need. I have found peace in life from God. He has saved and restored me. And my life has been transformed to now be marked by peace. God, help your church be dependent on you. Help us understand, God, we need you. And convict us in the moment when we think that we can do it on our own. 
And God, may your church be also be marked by a powerful and fearless witness to the world to declare the power of God, to invite people to the Prince of Peace at the foot of Jesus that offers them something that the world could never, ever offer. Thank you, God, that that's who you are. Thank you, God, that we trust in you. Thank you, God, that you save lives. Thank you, God, for the gospel of peace that you have given to us. It is the greatest news we could ever hear. So God, fill our lives with peace, transform us, restore us, and thank you, God, that your character and your name is the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.